What's up, man? How's it going? How's it going? Doing really good, bro. Ready to talk some basketball. Yeah. Uh, well, I would say welcome to Dribble Quibble, but like any good startup, we realized that we needed to pivot fast. So welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. This sounds a lot better, honestly. It's a lot smoother. I'm Michael Stir. I agree. Uh, and today is episode two. So last episode, we talked about all the trades that were happening all of the different um, free agent signings and everything that happened from the draft. This episode, want to finalize free agency because when we first talked about it, few, still a few deals that hadn't happened or at least hadn't been solidified. And then as well, want to get into some of the key storylines heading into 2020. So who's going to come out of the East? Will the Lakers repeat? And what coaches might be on the hot seat? So with that stir, finalizing free agency, what are some of the moves that in the 11th hour, 12th hour, whatever that idiom is for uh, free agency, what, what were some of the moves that you really enjoyed uh, or liked from teams to close it out? So for me personally, I don't know um, how impactful this kind of signing is going to be because I feel like it's really just adding more of the same. But I really like the fun addition of Bogdan Bogdanovich to the Hawks. I think that getting that finalized, signing him away from the Kings, I think it's going to make them maybe the best shooting team in the entire league with that starting backcourt. And it's just going to be a really fun offense to watch with Trey Young moving the ball and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who shoots over 40% on nine attempts a game from three-point range. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, to, to further your point on Bogdan, Ice Trey gets his running mate in Bogdan. Starting five is going to be Trey, Bogdan, Gallinari, John Collins, and Clint Capella. We'll see if they end up trading Collins throughout the season, like some people have theorized, but solid top to bottom in terms of their lineup. And then their entire backup unit is also pretty solid. They have Rondo, who will run with the second unit. Uh, they have Onyeka, who they just drafted. Um, and, and they have some other solid role players on that team. So I agree with you. I think they're going to be a great shooting team. I think they're going to be great offensively. I also think they'll improve on defense. And to me, if you look at any team that would be most improved year over year, it's got to be the Hawks next year. Uh, and I think a little bit of foreshadowing in some of our later segments. But if they're not, then that to me is a coaching issue. Uh, and in that case, I do think that they'd make a change. So I definitely look at the Hawks as that team that will be coming out of the East that last year, I think, didn't even scrape uh, like 20 wins. Uh, so definitely something to pay attention to there. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I, I remember, I think I mentioned on the last podcast, the two teams that I think are going to have the single biggest turnarounds in terms of their overall record would be the Phoenix Suns and the Atlanta Hawks. I think they both did a lot of the same by adding veteran leadership to a team that had a lot of young talent, and they added some good pieces to cover some of the weaknesses they had last season. I expect huge things from both of them. I have to agree with you on that one. Yeah, and my other key addition that came in afterwards that wasn't official in the last pod, Mark Gasol uh, coming to the Lakers. I think that it went from JaVale and Dwight to Mark Gasol and Montrez Harrell. Dwight was putting up good numbers, but then they didn't play him the rest of the season, like to close it out. And I think he improved his reputation, but clearly the Lakers 
didn't want him there anymore after he tweeted out saying he was going to return. But then the Lakers were like, nah, JK. And then he went to the 76ers. So obviously, Marc Gasol is in his decline, but he hasn't been given much minutes and is the only clear center on the roster. That nobody else on the roster is actually a center. They'll run Anthony Davis at the five. They'll run Montrez Harrell at the five, even though it's the small five. But he's still maintaining the same offensive and defensive rating per 100 uh, possessions as he did in his full career, about 113 and 104, uh, respectively. So I think Marc Gasol, still a solid addition, still is going to play some pretty big minutes, and LeBron definitely likes him. I think he quipped earlier that Marcus all has his uh, DPOI sitting at his house from when he was playing in Miami that Marcus all won. So Montrez, he's still 26. So he turns 27 to start off the season in January. He's going to be a great fit as coming off his best statistical season. Honestly, he was a steal for the Lakers because 18.6 points, 7.1 rebounds. And I think he only signed at about the biannual exception of $9 million a year. And he makes an impact off the ball. He bothers some defenders. People don't like playing against him because he's going to uh, just make it more difficult for them to score. So I do like the Marcus All Montrez tandem uh, and them shifting out for JaVale and Dwight. To be honest with you, that I have to disagree with you just a little bit. I do agree that adding Montrez Harrell is going to be great for them. And I think it may be one of the most impactful additions in all of free agency. I think he gives them everything that they need. And the addition of Dennis Schroeder can't be understated either. I don't think that LeBron has played with a point guard of this caliber since Kyrie Irving. So it'll be nice to have someone that can take the load off a little bit and take some of the ball handling responsibilities. So I think the Lakers made some good additions, but the Marcus All signing, I really do think is overrated. I do realize that when you're looking at his defensive ratings, they're just about the same as what they've been over the last couple of years. But if you just watch him play, it just doesn't pass the eye test. There's a reason why he's playing the fewest amount of minutes in his career. There became a time where Marcus Gasol could not be trusted anymore to be able to switch and cover anyone on the perimeter. And he was constantly being targeted. The, the Raptors just couldn't leave him out there. He was a liability. He also was no longer hitting enough threes to justify having him out there offensively. So although he's a nice player and he's achieved a lot in his career, I think at this point what he could add to the Lakers isn't a whole lot. The last action that we saw from him on the Raptors, he was hitting maybe one out of every four threes, and he looked like he was basically just a traffic cone out there on the perimeter. He was just a mild deterrent on the way to the basket. I would actually go as far as saying that the single addition of Serge Ibaka by the Clippers and the retention of Marcus Morris, I would say that those two signings will actually do more for the Clippers team than the addition of Montrez Harrell and Mark Gasol will for the Lakers. I think that the addition of Serge Ibaka is going to be huge for this Clippers team. It's going to give them a chemistry and a personality that they've severely been missing. And it's going to give Kawhi Leonard someone that he finally feels he may have a connection with, someone that he's played with before and had a lot of success with. I think that he actually can still space the perimeter, and he also has the ability to switch on the outside and cover inside. I think he's going to do a lot of things for that team. And overall, I'd say the Clippers probably came out a little further ahead than the Lakers in free agency this time. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Marcus Hall was that abysmal from three. He had 38.5% 
uh, from three-pointer, which JaVale and Dwight maybe have hit three threes combined in their life, Dwight hitting one to close out the finals last year. So still think it's an upgrade from them. I agree with you, but the impact signings from the Clippers uh, do overshadow some of what the Lakers have done. I would say, though, the Lakers fleeced uh, the other Morris brother with Markeith because Marcus got four years, 64 million. Markeith got the vet min. So I think uh, Marcus is <laughs> He's the be better Morris the, brother. Well, now he is, but when they came into the league, it was Markeith. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see Funny that, that disparity. Out. And I'm sure that uh, Marcus will be paying for some of the lunches and dinners that they'll be having jointly in Los Angeles. <laughs> that joint bank account that they have must have gone up great for Marquise. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the moves that I dislike to start, Boogie. Uh, I really hope third time's a charm for Boogie. But, and as you stated on the last podcast, Boogie appears to be an additional piece for the Rockets trying to have another championship run and sort of ignoring the noise from James Harden and what Russell Westbrook's camp. When he's healthy, Bogey is a double-double machine. 24 to 27 points every game, 10 to 13 rebounds a game. He's a passing big. He had a career-high 5.4 assists when he was with AD in New Orleans. Problem is, he's not healthy. Achilles tear with the Warriors, ACL with the Lakers last year. Notable Achilles injured players, Elton Brand, Chauncey Billups, Kobe, Anderson Barajal, Wesley Matthews, Mario Chalmers, Rudy Gay, Brandon Jennings. Of those people, the only person who got better after the injury or had a better season was Rudy Gay. Had a slightly better player efficiency rating the year after his injury, went from 15.5 to 17.5. No one else looked the same. Kobe never looked the same. Chauncey Billis never looked the same. Anderson Barajal, I I don't even remember what he looked like, honestly. Uh, (laughs) But... Every single one of them, uh, for the most part, their last NBA game was two to three years after that Achilles injury. And that's not even talking about his ACL injury. I'm not even getting into that. That So it'll be interesting to see how he comes back. It'll be interesting to see how Durant comes back. It'll definitely be interesting to see how Clay comes back now that suffering uh, the reverse of those injuries, ACL, then Achilles. But it is a very detrimental injury. It's something that when you're trying to pivot, when you're trying to land, when you're trying to uh, jump off to block somebody, there are a lot of mechanics that go into the Achilles tendon. And I've also heard that it's a very painful injury. So I think that with all that being said, uh, I, I just, I don't see it happening for Boogie. And I don't see the Rockets really benefiting greatly from having him yeah so going off of what you just said i I have to agree with you the addition of boogie is kind of one of those hail marys that you throw i don't think they're expecting to get anything out of him i think they're just doing their due diligence it's just one of those deals that you're not really giving up too much long term it's not really costing you anything and worst case scenario, he's someone that, if he can give you anything, can make a difference for your team. I think the Rockets are comfortable with him being someone that may not give them, that, give them anything because they've signed Christian Wood, who I think is probably the most impactful, underrated, and best value signing in all of free agency to get this guy for three years and $41 million. I know that not many people have talked about him, but I think a lot more people are going to become familiar with his name 
starting next season. This is a guy that after Andre Drummond stepped out of Detroit, he came in and out of relative obscurity started averaging 20 points, 10 rebounds, and shooting threes over 35% for a guy who's a big man playing the center position. He provides shooting. He provides defense. I think he's going to give James Harden probably the best fit of a teammate that he's had his entire time while he's been in Houston. They've always paired James Harden with guards. I think he's going to benefit a lot from playing with a big man that has the skill level of a Christian Wood. So, again, I think that having a guy like that puts a lot of ease on Boogie Cousins' recovery. They're not expecting him to give them much, and they're not going to rush him to come back to the court too fast. I think it's a good situation for both of them. Um, going off signings that we don't like, I think I'm going to have to go with Malik Beasley for the Timberwolves, four years, $60 million for a guy who is averaging 11 points for his career on 42.5% from the field. This is not an efficient score or a high volume score. We have sometimes teams that will offer a big contract to a guy who is a low efficiency score because they put up a lot of points. People like Allen Iverson, for example. But Malik Beasley is a guy who is a low scoring threat with a low percentage. Why would you give a guy like this $60 million? It's just beyond me. And the first thing you hear about it after he signs this contract is that now he's dating Larsa Pippen. So while he still has a wife. While he still has a wife. And she found uh, out because of the TMZ photos. So it, I guess I guess he figured I got sixty million dollars I can trade up in the world I can now is move that a trade up, up to <laughs> that's the thing it's not a trade up but I guess I guess it might be in his mind but if you look at the trajectory of players that have gone on to then date the reality TV show types I would just be unhappy if I was a Minnesota Timberwolves fan that's all I'm gonna say I, I don't think that it's a good use of sixty million dollars. Did you see that Scottie Pippen Jr. had to come out and, like, make several statements on Twitter and say, like, I am not responsible for anyone else's actions. I only focus on me. Like, <laughs> he's just That's watching. Honestly, his... It's embarrassing. Yeah. It, well, look, they're grown adults. They can do whatever they want. But also, we live in a world of COVID. And I know that Malik Beasley is, by no stretch of the imagination, a small person. However, he's got the mask, like, down to here and wearing probably the most flamboyantly loud jumpsuit in the airport. Clearly, you're just looking to get caught. So, I, I, yeah, I, I saw the that thing yesterday. Is, I, I mean, that. I understand where we're, uh, we may all make a little mistake from time to time where we don't have our mask all the way up. But the thing is, you're Malik Beasley. You're an NBA player. You know that you're going to have the cameras on you at all times, especially at an airport. You should be wearing like Probably a Mandalorian the least you could do, Right. <laughs> you know that you're uh, in the spotlight, man. Come on. Yeah. And so another ridiculous headline uh, or thing that I saw going back to the last pod as well, uh, Mitch Kupchak, when talking about Gordon Hayward signing, said – yeah, we didn't we didn't need Gordon to come in here and be a bona fide superstar. We really just need him to come in here, maybe score 19 points, six rebounds off, off um, you know, as a starter. He's a bona fide starter in this league. Like Montrez Harrell put up better numbers than that, or close to that, and got nine mil a year. So you guys are just furthering the like 
just the idiocracy. You as Mitch Kupchak, if you believe that that is all you need from Gordon Hayward, that is not worth $120 million. There were 37 players that scored over 19 points a game last year. 37 in the NBA. And I think there's about I wonder about how many of them are making $120 million. If you look at the list, they're probably like your max contract types. Um, I don't know that all of them are making that money. However, irrespective of that, you can find better role players that score you 17 points a game or 16 points a game that you're going to pay significantly less for. And it wasn't an AC, uh, ACL tear. It wasn't an Achilles tear. But he had two pretty bad ankle injuries uh, both last year and the year before. So I, I agree. I, I think what it comes down to is Mitch Kupchak has not had many victories as a general manager out there. And he honestly hasn't had a single major free agent signing his entire time that he's been there. Not a single name that the common NBA fan could say is a household name, not a single one. And I personally wouldn't go as far as saying that Gordon Hayward is a household name, but it's probably as big of a fish as Mitch Kupchak is going to get because no free agent in their right mind would agree to go there. So I think for him, he just wanted to get a player out there that is somewhat recognizable to give their organization somewhat relevance so that they could make somewhat money and sell somewhat tickets. And I don't think it's going to, it's going to work. I think that it's going to be a bad pairing. I think that he's going to really come to regret that $120 million contract. And probably by the second year of that contract, by the end of the second year of that contract, it would be an albatross. Yeah. Oh, he also said we just need to have him to have three good years. So they basically paid 120 million to have him be good for three years to just give them 19 points and six rebounds. Right. I'm exactly. Yeah. I'm telling you, I play I play a lot of 2K. I play the general manager mode. I seemingly do a great job in the simulation. I'm sure that I could do a better job than some of these guys. I think that you should just send in a resume of resident 2K player to Michael Jordan and see I'm telling you, if come, he gives come you that check GM out spot. my 2K guys. Front offices, NBA front offices, if you're listening, come check out my resume. We can talk. We can consult. So some key storylines going to 2020. Uh, I think the first one is, will the Lakers repeat? And for me, I have two questions. Will the Warriors stay healthy and will the Clippers mesh? Because if the answer is yes to one or both of those, Lakers aren't going to walk into the finals again like they did this season. They only lost three games the first three rounds, so that to me is a, a walk-in. Uh, but I think jumping ahead, if Steph stays healthy, he's also in consideration for MVP. So all that being said, I still have the Lakers going back to the finals with their ads this offseason. It's hard to imagine them not coming out of the West. We talked about Harrell. We talked about Gasol, but also Wesley Matthews, I think, is an upgrade over Danny Green in that spot. So – to me, they got better in every phase of the game. They got younger overall. LeBron quipped about that the other day. So they got younger. They now have some more championship experience with AD getting that uh, weight off his shoulders. So I do have them going back uh, to the finals and potentially repeating as well. Yeah, so basically 
I'd have to agree with you that the Lakers did improve in free agency. I think that the addition of Dennis Schroeder is actually going to be the biggest free agent addition that they made, even bigger than Montrez Harrell. Um, we're going to see how it plays out, but I think that they did get better. The thing is, I think a lot of teams got better. I think that although the Warriors may get a healthy MVP season from Stephen Curry, it's not just the Warriors they have to worry about. It's a lot of teams that got better. I think they have to worry about potentially seeing the Nets out in the East. If they do make it to the finals, a healthy Kevin Durant and the Nets, I think are going to be too much for any team. I think if the Nets can stay healthy, again, you mentioned earlier, a few players can come back and recover from an ACL injury and have a successful career after that. But if there's anyone that can do it, I think it's a guy like Kevin Durant. If he can be 90% of what he was before, that still probably makes him the best offensive player in the entire NBA not to mention the supporting cast that he has out there, guys like Karis LeVert who are unsung heroes that can give you potentially 20 points a game on some teams, guys like Spencer Dinwiddie coming off the bench. You have Joe Harris, elite shooting. You have Kyrie Irving, elite playmaking. If he can stay healthy, and that's a big if, I think that top to bottom, the Nets have the best roster. And I think that Kevin Durant would probably be the MVP if he is even 90% of what he normally is. Now, just looking over at the West, I think if you're looking just to making it to the West, they're going to have to compete with a tougher team that is a tougher Clippers version of themselves. They're going to have an addition of Serge Ibaka now that I said before is going to really help stabilize that team. I think that they're not going to have the same pressure that they did that first season of being the favorite to win it all. I think that they're going to have more time to mesh and more time to build chemistry between Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I think last season they had a lot of issues with, hey, we kind of do the same thing. I don't know what to do with myself. I think Paul George a lot of times was kind of standing around like, all right, well, he kind of does all the same things that I do, but better. So I guess I'm just going to kind of like stand around and see when he's going to pass me the ball. I think this year they're going to get a lot more time to develop chemistry, and I think they're going to present problems for the Lakers as well. Um, I agree that the Warriors are going to be an interesting team to watch. The thing is, I think they're going to have to redefine the way they play basketball a lot. And there's just a lot of moving parts here. You have to try to find a way to break into Wiggins' untapped potential. You have to integrate Oubre. You have to get Wiseman integrated. There's just so many moving parts. And Curry's coming back from a major injury. Now Clay isn't going to play when they thought he was. That probably changed their game plan. I don't know that the Warriors are going to do as well as a team as a lot of people may think. I think that Curry will have a great individual year. But I don't think that the team themselves will do as well as a lot of people projected. So overall, I guess I'll think the Lakers probably make it to the Western Conference Finals, lose in the West Finals, and probably the don't make it. Clippers? I got to say, I think that the healthy Clippers will probably take the Lakers. Yeah, we'll see if we get the Battle of LA this year. Um, in terms of the East, who, who do you have coming out? Well, I think if we're going to talk about the East, it would be disrespectful if you don't start with the Heat because they're the ones that came out of the East last year. Although a lot of people were saying it was probably a, a fluke and it can't be sustained, that they benefited a lot from the bubble environment, et cetera. I think that some of those things could be true. They did benefit from the bubble environment and they probably did play a little above the level to what you could expect them to do for a sustained period of time over the course of an entire season. 
but you can expect them to have steady improvement from their young players. Even though they didn't make huge free agent additions, they did shore up some of their weaknesses from what we saw in the finals. We saw that some of their biggest issues was defending quick point guards on the ball. I think getting a guy like Avery Bradley, who is one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA and still a great spot of threat from three-point range is a great addition to their squad. I think that drafting a guy like Precious Achua gives them much-needed size and depth to back up Bam. I think that we're going to see steady improvement from Bam. He's a player that, in reality, is only in his fourth season. I think that he's going to have a big leap still. Tyler Hero is a player that showed what he can be. He's only a rookie. I mean, he's going to go into his second season right now, but as a rookie, he showed you what he could do in a playoff series when it really counts, which I think is huge. There's some guys who are all-stars right now that haven't had playoff moments the way that Tyler Hero's had. So I think that they, they're going to show a lot of growth from within. But again, I think it's going to come down to the health of the Nets. If the Nets stay healthy, I think that it's going to overshadow the addition of Drew Holiday. I think it's going to overshadow the individual growth that you're going to see from the young players on the Heat. I think that Kevin Durant is the greatest scoring talent the NBA has ever seen. If he had his mind right, and if he has his body right, I think that there's no reason why they shouldn't make it to the NBA Finals and win a championship. Yeah, I, I think what I did for the East was really took a look at, like, who who are my eight that I think would get into the playoffs? And in no particular order, I think Bucks, Heat, Nets, Celtics, Raptors, 76ers, Pacers, Hawks. That's my eight. And of those, I here, these are the people who I don't think are going to get to the finals. Bucks, I think, are going to have another early exit, and I think that's going to set off a domino effect going into the free agency. The Nets, look, I agree with you that Durant is an offensive force. I agree with you that so is Kyrie. But it's just unseen whether or not they can mesh. And it's also unclear as to how healthy each of them are. Kyrie has been battling nagging injuries for the last several years. And Steve Nash still has to coach at the end of the day. I know Kyrie said everybody on the team, including the water boys, are coached. However... Steve Nash still has to be the head of the team and he's unproven as well. So I don't think there's many times in NBA history where somebody coming off of an injury has a new coach with a new teammate in a new team with a lot of different pieces and then ends up making it all the way to the finals. So I don't see them going. The Raptors, I think they continue to- He actually kind of did something like that. But Butler wasn't coming off of an injury. Oh, no, I mean, uh, with the big three after the heat, after after we'd had that major knee injury. Yeah. New coach, new team. That's true. Like, I don't don't see KD carrying the mantle just yet in terms of what LeBron James has done over the last several years. I do think he still needs a great sidekick. Um, So for me... Uh, with the Raptors, I think they continue to rest next year. I think that Pascal Siakam is similarly going to have a great, great season individually, but I think the Raptors as a whole are going to decline. I think they also trade Lowry to a contender before the trade deadline on his expiring deal. 
So mm. I could see maybe Lowry going to the Wizards and having Wall go over to the Raptors for a fat amount of picks, depending on how Wall is doing. So um, the Pacers, Victor Oladipo maybe is staying. Victor Oladipo is maybe getting traded to the Knicks. Victor Oladipo this, Victor Oladipo that. They didn't really I get better. I think that, honestly, they would like to move him, but they can't get good value for him right now. Because, unfortunately, right. after he's come back from his injury, he hasn't really shown much. And there's not really teams that are willing to offer up much for him. So I think they want to get something for him. I think they, knows, they know that he doesn't want to be there. But they can't really get anything for him right now. I think that they're hoping that he can come in, play at somewhat the level of what he did before, and then flip him for something while his value is high. Yeah. So, I, and I don't, I don't really see where else the Pacers have significantly improved. I think they'll still come out of the East, but I, I think that they're, they're not going to get very far. Maybe we can have another TJ Warren, Jimmy Butler spat in the, the finals, or not the finals, but in one of the rounds. So who's your pick? Well, that leaves me with four. That leaves me with Heat, Celtics, 76ers, and Hawks. I think the Hawks are young. They're going to be, you and I have talked highly of them, but I think the Hawks are going to be that type of team that like knocks out the Bucks first round and then get swept the next round by the Celtics. So I think they'll be exciting first round, a lot of energy, sort of just plumbing their nerves uh, down. But then I, I see them just getting swept because of the lack of experience overall. Uh, I agree with that. 76ers, until they trade Ben Simmons, I do not think will make it anywhere because Ben Simmons needs to have a three-pointer to be able to be a successful player in this league. I told a few people uh, like the last couple of years that the biggest detriment to that team is Ben Simmons, and it will be Ben Simmons until he develops a three-pointer. So I don't think they make it. Leaves me with the Celtics and Heat. I think it'll be another So East hold on. Unrelated to that, no, before you go yeah. on, would you yeah. rather have as a cornerstone player, because I do agree with you that long-term, the pairing of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid does not work. I don't think that they complement each other well, and I don't think that they should keep those two players together. I think that they're honestly hindering each other's development. I think that Joel Embiid would be a better player without Simmons and the same for Simmons. But are you saying that you would rather have Joel Embiid as a foundational piece than Ben Simmons. Thousand percent. Would you keep Joel Embiid if you're the Sixers? Thousand percent. That's interesting. I just, I don't know. I think I'd have to take Simmons just on pure upside. I know what Embiid's going to give me. Embiid is as good as he's going to be right now. I don't think Embiid's going to get any better. I think that he really is at the peak of his powers right now. And based on what I see from Embiid, I see a guy who always makes excuses. Anytime something doesn't go his way, he's throwing his coach under the bus. He's throwing his team under the bus. They don't pass me the ball. It's the coach. He, I just do what the coach does. He doesn't run good plays. Uh, I don't know why they don't feed me the ball more in the post. This is a guy that never keeps it in the locker room. He honestly, if he is your foundational piece and he is the character of your team, then your team is mentally soft. This is a guy who was ugly crying after he got eliminated from the playoffs. Look, I'm, I understand that it's an emotional time. And yeah, players cry sometimes after they lose. But did you see him? He was ugly crying, like sobbing the way that a five-year-old would cry when you take their favorite toy and send them to timeout. You're telling me you're not mentally strong enough to make it to the locker room and cry away from the cameras? You know that there's a million cameras everywhere. 
Why are you sobbing, ugly crying, holding your girlfriend of the week like, like you've never, you've never had any pain before? This is crazy to me. I, I just think that Joel Embiid doesn't have the physical or mental stability to be a foundational piece for a championship team. So I'd take my chances with Simmons. I just, I haven't seen any improvement from Ben Simmons. I think that he's maybe shot like two threes last season. And if some, if people are ripping on you, like they did LeBron, like even they did Kobe back in the day, Kobe didn't have an amazing three pointer when he came in the league. Elite players work on those things. And I feel Ben Simmons is more interested in the clout of dating a Kardashian than he is of improving his three pointer. So I can I, see that, but look at it this way too. He's never been in a situation where he has been able to, I guess, be in a place that would be conducive to growth. He's had as his best teammate to learn from Joel Embiid and a revolving door of coaches who have preached nothing but trust the process, trust the process. Yeah, we're going to lose. We're going to acquire a ton of picks. We're going to switch our coach every year. He's, here's Joel Embiid. He's your best teammate. They've never really given him anyone to learn from that can teach him how to succeed or win. I guess it's also on him to not um, seek out players on his own because I know a lot of the greats do. But I feel like in an environment where he would have strong leadership and players where he could learn from, you could potentially see a different type of Ben Simmons. He could potentially be a transcendent player if his mind was right. I, well, and that's the thing, if his mind is right, because you talk about not having uh, leadership or mentorship on that team. Like Jimmy Butler's on that team. Jimmy Butler clearly saw something he didn't like and he didn't want to stay there. If it's because Ben Simmons didn't want to put in the work, then they don't want to stay there with Ben Simmons. LeBron James, I'm pretty sure Ben Simmons is signed to clutch, which means that LeBron is probably in Ben Simmons' ear. Why isn't LeBron trying to get Ben Simmons traded to the Lakers? Why isn't LeBron working out with Ben Simmons all the time publicly like he does with AD and some of these other guys from Clutch? So Ben Simmons has those tools at his disposal, and he is not leveraging them and not using them, at least not to the public eye. And again, if you look at his just like tabloid Kendall Jenner or whomever else he's dating, he clearly doesn't mind being in the tabloid, so it's not a product of that. And it's definitely not a product of LeBron or somebody else not wanting to show that he's training Ben Simmons because he's done that with countless NBA players. So I just I don't see the work ethic from him publicly and I don't hear about it privately and implicitly when you see guys like Jimmy Butler or even Joel Embiid cry about certain things. Perhaps it is a factor of this guy just doesn't want to work hard and he's just not interested in winning. I agree with that. That could be. Yeah, so last two, Heat and Celtics. I think it'll be, unless seeding doesn't work out this way, a Heat and Celtics rematch for the Eastern Conference Finals. It'll be interesting to That'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the step that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum continue to take as just a extremely dangerous tandem on that team. It'll also be interesting to see if Kemba Walker does have a shot knee at this point and is not going to be able to recoup. Uh, because he was non-existent in the Eastern Conference Finals. And also it'll be interesting to see the jump that Tyler Hero makes, uh, as well as Bam, because Bam is still relatively young. So I will give the slight edge, the biased edge to the Heat. I think that they're going to outlast this team again. I also think that the Heat will have 
a buyout candidate, potentially like a George Hill type that comes onto the team that can just shoot it and uh, just make it from three championship experience. So um, that's someone that I would watch out for in terms of the heat obtaining. Uh, and I also think they'll probably get rid of Kelly Olenek throughout the season to free up they'll some try. of that front court bog jam. So hopefully he does show out the initial phase of the season. So do have the heat beating the Celtics probably in six again uh, and, and making it to the finals to battle either a Kawhi Clippers or LeBron Lakers. I like that. So going off the top of the East, before we move on to the next topic, what's the verdict? If you have to choose, and I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about the best individual player out of these, out of these uh, guys. I'm saying as a pairing, as a group, which group has the brighter future? Jalen Brown and <laughs> Jason Tatum together on the Celtics or Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero together on the Heat? Although both players, I mean, I think a lot of people would agree that maybe Jason Tatum has the highest ceiling of any individual player in that group. I think that a lot of people may think that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum may kind of hinder each other's development long term because they do so many of the same things. They may not be as complimentary to each other as Tyler Hero and Bam may be. What do you think? I obviously love Tyler and Bam, but realistically, Jason Tatum in and of himself is an MVP caliber player. And Jalen Brown, if he had his own team, I also think would be putting up ridiculous numbers. Maybe not MVP, definitely all NBA, second team. So I see Bam and I see Tyler Hero growing. I don't necessarily consider them to be like a Shaq and Kobe in terms of the positions that they play. But I do see Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown being just an unstoppable duo. Uh, and the only thing really getting in their way is if they have teammates that don't play to their skill sets, which I don't think they have at the moment. But that, to me, is the only thing that would hinder uh, their growth or their ability to grow. I agree with that. I like that a lot. I mean, I think that, obviously, their their future is extremely bright. I just said, like, again, the thing with them is I just don't know that maybe they don't have too much overlap and maybe wouldn't be better off on different teams. At some point, it may come to be that maybe maybe Jalen Brown decides he may want his own show. Because we know that this is going to be Jason Tatum's team. But at some point, is the talent of Jalen Brown deserving of his own squad? We saw players like James Harden and other players who eventually felt like they needed a bigger role. And... It could be that maybe Jalen Brown may feel that way down the road. I think that we still have a lot to see with Bam and Tyler. Um, They haven't had as much, or Tyler hasn't had quite as much experience as the other guys. But um, I think that Tyler and Bam together are extremely complimentary. I think it's a match made in heaven with Bam's skill set of being able to pass and handle the ball as a big man and being able to dive and finish and Tyler Hero's ability to space and score from all three levels and hit Bam on rolls and run pick and rolls effectively. So I just think that together, the pairing of Bam and Tyler is just a match made in heaven. Yeah, and I think the good part about Bam and Tyler is they're not even the best player on the team. That's true. 
So they still have somebody to learn from in Jimmy Butler for the next three or four years. And they have the OG in UD, who is still basically a player coach at this point, who they're learning from, from a mentorship aspect. So we talked a bit about Ben Simmons, not having that person on his team, not having that mentor. I don't think the Celtics really have that. Obviously, they might have Paul Pierce or KG do a, a quick drop in to say, hey, here's what you need to be doing. But realistically, they don't have that person in their ear every single day at practice or those two people in their ear every single day at practice like they do with Jimmy Butler and Udonis Haslam. And even Goran Dragic. Goran Dragic has been in the league for a long time now and is still a veteran player who can give you 20 points a game. So I don't see the Celtics having those mentors. Uh, They obviously have the historical context from the Celtics standpoint, but you can't just call Larry Bird and you can't just call uh, Bill Russell or any of these other guys to give them speeches every single day or run alongside them on the court. So that's the, the one slight edge that I can see from like a exponential growth factor that Jimmy uh, Butler provides to Bam as well as to Tyler as well as some of those other guys. Agree with that. So going off of uh, the teams that we expect to have a lot of success and come out of the East and West, what are some of the coaches that you think may be on the hot seat for next season if their team underperforms? So I thought about this one a lot, and the two coaches that I have, both of them are going to be leading championship teams, but I think they're going to come up short. I think they're going to be great uh, regular season teams that will show out, but probably not do much in the playoffs and uh, we'll see what domino effect that has. So first one I have is Mike Budenholzer of the Milwaukee Bucks. I think that with another early exit, he's gone and it might be too late. It will be too late for Giannis. I saw today Giannis had an interview recently that he said, I used to think when I was 18 or 19 years old that uh, being the guy was important, but I realized that guys like LeBron, guys like Kobe didn't do it alone. And so I'm fine with having Kobe, Kawhi, LeBron, whomever on my team in order to win a championship because that's what people are going to remember. And I'm definitely paraphrasing and, and not seeing everything that he said. But he's basically saying... I don't need to be a superstar anymore on a team. I've won two individual accolades and they're not scratching that itch, which is also saying, Hey, I'm pretty much going to leave Milwaukee to go to another team because we couldn't even land Bogdan Bogdanovich great player, but he's not LeBron. So I think the writing is on the wall with that statement. I also saw that he was pissed that Bogdan didn't make it over to Milwaukee because he saw him, uh, I think he quote, was quoted as saying as another uh, European worker. So they, he had his oh my brother, God. he had his brother Costas uh, reaching out to him as well to try to recruit him over there. So he struck, they struck out on Bogdan. That might have been the thing that leads him to leave at the end of the day. But clearly, it's more about winning a championship than it is about winning the regular season for him. And I think the Bucs will be the first seed, but I see them having an early exit uh, or at least an exit in the semifinals and not making it to the conference finals. 
I agree with that. I think that um, in general, when you're looking at hot seats, there's always a general formula every year for how you can predict which coach may be fired. It's always a team with high expectations that severely underperforms or a team with a notable superstar player in a contract year who potentially doesn't want to resign because of a losing record or some unfortunate situation that maybe even is out of the coach's control. But regardless, these are usually the two things that lead to a hot seat. So if we're looking at that, I think one of the people that you got to be looking at right now that has a combination of those factors is Michael Malone. And I think not that many people would say Michael Malone, but you got to actually take a look at this on a, on a closer level. Michael Malone is a guy right now that leads a team with huge expectations. The Nuggets aren't a surprise team anymore. When the Nuggets first showed up and made noise in the playoffs, everyone was surprised. But at this point, the Nuggets are a known commodity. They're always expected to be a top four seed in the West. They have a player in Nikola Jokic who plays at a potentially MVP level from time to time. They have a player in Jamal Murray who we've seen in the playoffs is capable of exploding and hitting massive shots, timely shots, high volume scoring. They have everything you need. They have young talent. They have players that have trajectories that are trending upward. They have a young star, I think, in Michael Porter Jr. too, who is unhappy. Michael Porter Jr. is a player that is supremely talented and would have probably been a top three pick in his draft if it wasn't for that back injury that he had. A lot of teams passed on Michael Porter Jr. because they were very scared that he would never be the same and he wouldn't be able to play because of how serious the back injury had was. But I think um, since we've seen him play, we see that he's, he's pretty healthy and he knows he's healthy. He had a, a point in the season last year where I think he went off for five straight games where he had 20 points, 10 rebounds and five straight. So he knows he's talented. This is a guy that believes he's number one pick type talent, but they have him coming off the bench and publicly was at odds with his coach during the playoffs complaining about how he felt his role wasn't big enough. He was publicly calling out his coach saying, we keep doing the same thing. We don't make adjustments. He doesn't want to start me. He literally is out there saying these things, which shows that there's a little bit of a divide in the locker room. You don't want to have one of your most talented future players. And what they say is one of their cornerstones for the future out here throwing your coach under the bus. And Unfortunately for the Nuggets, as talented as they are, I don't think they're going to have enough to come out of the West next year either. So you're going to have the combination of not reaching the championship, meaning that you're going to get either as far as you made it last year or not as far as that. And you're also going to have an unhappy Michael Porter Jr. if you don't start him. And up to this point, he's made no indication that he intends to do that. So I think the combination of those two things put Michael Malone in a potentially hot seat. Um, I agree with what you said with um, the Atlanta Hawks coach, Lloyd Pierce. I think that he has a ton of firepower now. And if he doesn't make the playoffs and have a big turnaround for the Hawks, I think we could see a coaching change there. And I think we could also see... Who do you think goes to the Hawks if Lloyd Pierce is fired? I have a couple of interesting hmm. names. You know... It might be a stretch, but 
Mike D'Antoni <laughs> would probably That's... love a team like that. I yeah. think that that is such a Mike D'Antoni team when I look at that roster. And Mike D'Antoni right now is an assistant coach for the Nets. I mean, I got to believe that Mike D'Antoni doesn't want to be an assistant coach. He was a head coach for all these years, and now he, he wants to be an assistant. I think that in reality, he just couldn't pass up the opportunity to just go do something fun and coach with one of his favorite players, Steve Nash, and kind of help him get off the ground so that he has a successful career. I think that he wanted to go there to basically do him a solid. But I think that if he goes over there, he sees that he's got the ship kind of going for Steve Nash. And, you know, at this point, he doesn't really need his help. I think that Mike D'Antoni could step into an organization like the Hawks and he can get that thing going. That is the exact kind of team that he likes. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other interesting person to think about, too, for this team would be Jason Kidd. I think he's had a year now with LeBron, with AD, probably got some of his bad habits out of whatever he was doing in Milwaukee that ended up getting him fired. Jason Kidd still was one of the best offensive players in the league during his time. And I don't think he really enjoys being second fiddle to Frank Vogel. And I could see them firing Frank Vogel to promote Jason Kidd at some point. But if Frank Vogel's still doing well, I don't see Rob Palinka doing that. So uh, if at the end of next season, the Lakers are the champions again, then Jason Kidd is likely going to want to run his own show. And if Atlanta is available or one of the other young and exciting teams is available, then I could see Jason Kidd uh, moving over to there. That's a great pick. Yeah, I, I would agree with that 100%. Yeah. So I think that just about does it for our second episode here, first with the new name. So I think next episode we can talk about all of our award predictions and get into some of the flip side of who we think maybe Coach of the Year might be who the front runners are for MVP and then some of the dark horses from the other, for the other awards, like defensive player of the year and most improved player. Definitely going to be a fun episode. We've got a lot of fun opinions on that one. Talk about the players that are going to improve the most, regress the most, some of our biggest surprises tune in and listen for the next episode. All right. Well, this is quarter opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Michael Stern.